I'd like to add my welcome to Pastor Mike's. My name is Jeff Harden. I happen to be the chairman of the Integrated Biology Department, formerly known as Zoology, here at UW-Madison. So if you're new to the campus community, I want to add my welcome to his and to all of ours. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us. This morning, though, I have the privilege of reading our scripture passage, which can be found on page 933 in the Black Bibles that you were given when you came in today, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Before we read, though, please join me in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather, to hear your word, to be transformed by it as your Holy Spirit works in our hearts. Our Father, this uh, passage this morning speaks of unity. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, you are one God and Father of all. And yet we celebrate that unity in diversity as you have given each of us gifts. Help us to understand from being uh, enriched by this passage this morning what that means for each of us. Empower Pastor Mike, use his words to help us to understand afresh what this passage from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians means for us today. We look forward to what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirits. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually just as the spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now continuing in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The word of the Lord. 
couple of public service announcements. You might want to keep your Bibles open because I'm going to be referring closely to this chapter and a little bit to chapter 14 of the same letter, so you might want to turn a few pages at certain points during the sermon. Second, we make copies of the manuscript available for people to follow along now, especially if English is not their first language or if you want to review these things later. So Sylvia has copies of the manuscript. She'll be circulating through the room, so if you want a copy, just catch her eye and she'll give you one. Strive for the greater gifts. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, this morning we're actually finishing up a study of 1 Corinthians 12, a chapter that focuses on these things that we call spiritual gifts. I mainly want to answer two questions this morning. First, what does the Apostle Paul mean when he says, strive for the greater gifts? And that's a little bit tricky. And once we get the answer to that question, what does Paul mean by the greater gifts? And we can answer a second important question. How do we actually discover, develop, and deploy the spiritual gifts that the Spirit pours out within the body of Christ. So what does it mean to strive for the greater gifts and how do we put those into practice? There is a kind of tension in this passage or even irony that we have to recognize because on the one hand, Paul seems to talk about all the gifts being equal or at least equally necessary. And yet he also implies that some of the gifts are greater. So that's a little bit hard to make sense of. All the gifts come from the same Spirit who makes them all work together for the common good. That's in verse 7. All the gifts are necessary. You can't say to another member of the body, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, for example. That's verse 21. And yet, some of the gifts are greater. Verse 31. So, what does this mean? It helps if we understand what the gifts actually are and what they're for, what they're supposed to do. So, let's back up to verse 4. I think those verses are really important for understanding this chapter. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who activates all of them in everyone. Focus on these three words, gifts, services, and activities. The word translated as gift is the Greek word charisma, which doesn't really have anything to do with giving. It has to do with the word grace, charis. So it's, it's like an expression of God's grace or an embodiment of God's grace. So what, that's, that's what we mean when we talk about spiritual gifts, embodiments of grace that the Holy Spirit distributes among the various members of the body of Christ, you and me. Paul also uses the word service, that's the Greek word diakonia. We get our word deacon from it. And the word activity, which is the Greek word energema, which is related to the word energy. And energia, expressions of divine 
energy, manifestations of God's power. That's what Paul's talking about here. So, so look at the picture those words together paint. We're talking about abilities given to human beings that, that are rooted in and expressions of God's grace and are aimed at serving and at doing things. Energia, energy, is always aimed at doing something. So that's a reasonable way of understanding what spiritual gifts are and what they're for. They're result-oriented. They're, they're expressions of God's grace aimed at serving and aimed at doing. So I think that helps us understand what Paul has in mind when he talks about some of the gifts being greater, especially if we turn the page and listen to another passage from this letter at the beginning of chapter 14. Starting in verse 1, listen to this. Pursue love, in chapter 13, the more excellent way. Paul's just been talking about love, and, and I recommend that you read that when the sermon's over, or sometime during the week. It's a great chapter, but picking up. Pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. What does Paul mean when he talks about prophesying? He means speaking God's word to God's people. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God. For nobody understands them since they are speaking mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. You see the result clearly expressed there. Upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. Those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy build up the church. Now, I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater, that's the word, greater than one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So I think, I think you can get a sense of what the most important thing here is in the mind of Paul. All spiritual gifts are expressions of God's grace, and all spiritual gifts are meant for serving, and all spiritual gifts are meant to produce a result. But some of the gifts mainly serve the person who has that gift. They build up the person who gets the gift. But other gifts serve the whole body. And they build up the whole body. The greater gifts are the ones that do more good to more people. That's why they're greater. That's the only thing Paul has in mind when he says the greater gifts. So if we have that proper way of understanding spiritual gifts, now we can bring it home. Now we can make it personal. Remember what I said last week. All the spiritual gifts are embodied in particular persons, in you each of you, and in me. So that leads naturally enough to some personal questions, questions we should all be asking and that we need to know the answers to if our gifts are going to produce the result that God intends them to produce. So I have in mind five questions, and I think they're pretty obvious. What are my gifts? How do I know what my gifts are? How can I get a gift? that I don't have? I mean, you have to ask that question if Paul says you can earnestly desire a gift. How can I develop a gift that I do have? And how can I use my gifts for the greatest benefit to the body of Christ? Now, that could be a book, 
but it's just going to be the rest of this sermon. They're good and essential questions, so I want to at least give you short answers to those questions one by one. What are my gifts? That's a question you probably have to think about in all kinds of situations. It might come up when you apply for a college program, or it might come up in a job interview, or you might ask that question of yourself when you're thinking about a career choice or a career change. Let's keep one thing in mind, though. We're talking about specifically spiritual gifts here, the ones that come through the Holy Spirit, energizing God's grace in our lives, in our bodies, in our activity, so that we can serve God and God's people, so that we can do the things that God wants to do through us. Now, there might be a really high correspondence between our spiritual gifts, any person's spiritual gifts, and that person's other gifts or givens of their personalities or their natural abilities or their circumstances. All of these things have spiritual implications. A compassionate person might have the gift of helping. An organized person who likes to to tell other people what to do and, and is good at that might have the gift of leadership. A person who has inherited a lot of money might have the gift of generosity and be able to express that gift powerfully, but maybe not. I've known lots of people who are not naturally compassionate, who turn out to be good at helping. And I've known compassionate people who weren't, quite frankly, much help at all. I've known organized and strong-willed people who weren't good leaders. And I've seen meek and disorganized people do amazing things in the kingdom of God in terms of leadership. I've known very poor people who were generous and very wealthy people who had no apparent gifts at all in the realm of generosity. So we have to be careful about assumptions. A spiritual gift, a a charism, a charisma is a fruit of grace, and it may or may not line up with personality traits or talents or any other kind of human ability. God can certainly use those too, but we're talking about things that really only work because the power of the Holy Spirit is the source of their effectiveness. So, so how do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Well, some of the spiritual gifts seem pretty obvious. The gift of tongues, for example. Um, and you might have questions about that. I'm not going to get into them now. I'm more than happy to talk about that after the service. But if you find that you can suddenly speak Arabic or Cantonese and you never could before, I bet that's a spiritual gift, an empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Like that's what happened on Pentecost. We hear God, we hear these people speaking in our own language. What's up with that? Or um, there's another way the New Testament speaks about tongues, and and that's the one Paul has in mind here in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. If you find yourself unable to stop saying things when you pray, but you yourself don't understand what you're saying, but it sounds like you're saying something, that's probably a spiritual gift. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if anyone's ever had that gift or seen that gift, but Paul talks about it. And if that's... uh, the gift that you happen to have, you probably know that you have it. But most spiritual gifts take some discernment as well as development. 
When we talk about discerning spiritual gifts, we can speak broadly about two things. We can speak about an internal discernment, and we can speak about an external discernment. And I think what I mean is probably already obvious to you, but I'm going to go through it. Internal discernment is what happens in your life, in your experience, inside your own heart and mind and soul. What kinds of things do you find yourself actually doing, especially in the church, in the kingdom of God, or wanting to do? And which of those things do you seem to be good at? Which ones satisfy you? Which ones surprise you because you turn out to be good at something you wouldn't have expected yourself to be good at? I mean, if you told me when I was 14 years old that I'm going to be a preacher someday and that one of the things I'm going to do for a living is get up in front of people and talk to them, I would say, you are out of your mind. And yet, here I am. But those kinds of things, what surprises you, especially what surprises you about what you're good at, or what satisfies you, or, or what seems effective when you do it, what, what just makes you say, I was made for this. Those might indicate what your spiritual gifts are, but internal discernment is never really enough when it comes to spiritual gifts. Your, your internal discernment needs to be confirmed by the external discernment of the church. <clears throat> when you do something that you think you might have a gift for, how does it actually go? What kind of results does that actually produce in the church? When you lead or try to lead, do people follow? When you try to help, does it really help? When you exercise discernment, does your discernment turn out to be correct or do you leave a trail of resentment and frustration and confusion in your wake? And here's the thing, don't just rely on your own opinion and your own observation. This is really important, what I'm saying right now. What kind of feedback do you get from other people in the church, and especially leaders in the church? Do they tell you you're good at that, or sometimes maybe you should try something else? Do you actually and honestly ask for that kind of feedback, and are you open to it when you get it? Feedback from the body of Christ is really important, and, and, and the humility to accept the collective judgment of the church is really important. Let's go back to chapter 14 again. Paul's talking about this one gift that he considers the highest gift that anyone can aspire to in the church he's writing to, the gift of prophecy, the gift of speaking God's word and God's will with discernment, with, with Holy Spirit I don't want to say inspiration, but with guidance and empowerment by the Holy Spirit. And he says this, about this gift, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is authoritative speaking in the church. Let two or three prophets speak. This is verse 29. And let the others weigh what is said. Now, I think our style in Madison might be a little different from the style in Corinth. Here in Madison, we don't have two or three prophets speaking and the other of those two or three weighing what is said. We usually have one person speaking God's word and about 140 people weighing what is said. But I think that's, that's legitimate. There's, there's got to be an accountability and a, and a sort of feedback loop in the body of Christ. Even the greatest and the most necessary gifts 
need to be evaluated and confirmed by the church externally? Is your internal intuition about your gift confirmed by the judgment of the church? Those are really two important questions to put together. And this is where it can get a little bit hard because sometimes people have really good intentions. They really want to serve God. They, they do exactly what Paul said. They're obedient. They eagerly desire greater gifts, but they just don't have those gifts that they think they have, that they want to have, that they've strived for, that they've prayed for. But the church just doesn't confirm their gifts or else they neglect to ask for the church's confirmation. I had a classmate at seminary. This made such an impression on me. Because going to seminary is a big deal, you know. You, it's, it's not exactly... Well, it is jumping in with both feet. Some people sell their houses to go to seminary. They, don't, they, they leave other careers behind. One student, I remember, who was told in about the middle of his second year, halfway through the program, that he was being excused from the program. Not because of anything that he did wrong, but because the faculty said to him, his name was Calvin, Calvin, you just don't have the gifts. His brother was in the seminary too. His heart was in the right place. But they said, brother, you don't have what it takes to be a pastor. His heart was broken. I saw him when he came out of that interview. His color was different. There were tears in his eyes. You could tell that he'd just been ripped open. But you know what? As hard as that is, when people try to use gifts that they don't actually have, then they're creating weak links, weak spots in the body of Christ. And sometimes they end up doing more harm than good. And the more important, the more strategic, the more central the gift, the more damage that you can do, as well as the more good you can do. We don't want the whole church to unravel. Using spiritual gifts rightly requires enough honesty and humility to listen to what the church says about your gifts. And maybe it takes your own initiative. You have to take some responsibility for this. And you have to ask instead of waiting to be told. That's a necessary kind of discernment in developing and discovering spiritual gifts. A necessary kind of humility. A necessary respect for the whole body and the importance of these things that we call spiritual gifts. So that's a shout out for humility. But let me also give a shout out for courage. Don't be afraid about this. What if I do want a gift or think I might have a gift, but I'm not sure? How do I live this out? How do I eagerly desire a gift? Should I just accept it? Maybe I don't have it. Or should I strive for it? Should I go for it? Well, Paul says go for it. Paul teaches us to desire the greater gifts. This seems to validate some, something like a, a kind of holy ambition. We should want the gifts that do the most good in the church. Humbly recognizing that maybe if everyone was a mouth, the church wouldn't be that good. But we should all be willing to hear it if the church says you don't have those gifts. But we should also be willing to hear it if the church says maybe you do have those gifts. The church should be the kind of community that encourages people to explore their giftedness, to explore the possibilities, to ask about gifts that might not even have emerged yet. We should take this holy ambition and this zeal for building up 
the body of Christ seriously. We should encourage one another to strive. The church should be a community that fosters the emergence of new gifts and that strives together for that. <clears throat> one form of that striving is prayer. If you desire a gift you don't have or a greater measure of a gift that you do have, prayer is the obvious thing to do because prayer connects us with the grace that is the source of all of these gifts, the charis that is at the source of all these charismata. You can't guarantee that you'll get a gift if you seek it. But if your ambition is to serve God, and if it's really a holy ambition, then lifting it up in prayer is the best way to start acting on the possibility that you have that gift because you will be recognizing from the very beginning your dependence on God's grace in seeking and in exercising that gift. Well, it's way too short, but finally, if you have a gift, if you ask for one and you get it, or if you get it even though you didn't ask for it, that happens sometimes too, think about Moses. Lord, isn't there anyone else you can send? Know you're it. Sometimes God works like that. If you have the gift, how do you deploy it? There's no short answer to this question, but if you have a gift, or if you think you may have a gift, one of the best things you can do besides pray is find someone else who has that gift and who can maybe either help you discern whether you have it or especially teach you how to develop and how to use that gift in the body of Christ. That's essentially what seminaries are for, for teaching people that think they might have the gift of, of, of pastoral leadership and prophesy how to use those gifts. And doesn't that make practical sense? I mean, this is really practical when you get right down to it, not theoretical. If you want to learn a trade or a skill, you probably have to study some theory, but you need to practice the skill by using it. You need to learn by doing. You need to learn by watching people that already know how to do those things and then try it yourself and let them watch you and give you feedback. It's very much like that with spiritual gifts. And, and this is going to be really scary, you know. The first time you use a circular saw, if you want to be a carpenter, or an impact wrench, if you want to be a mechanic, or a scalpel, if you want to be a surgeon or, or a mass spectrometer, if you want to be a physicist or a chemist or a volatile reagent or something like that. You know, it's probably a little bit awkward. Uh, be careful, that could burn your foot off. If you breathe those fumes, you might die. That's a little daunting. There's a lot of power at your disposal, and you don't really have a lot of experience in using that thing constructively, but, but you can only learn and improve your ability by doing and the first few times, it helps a lot if someone who's already acquainted with using that gift, who has that ability, can guide you through it. You can observe them. They can observe you. I think there's lots of room in the church for spiritual apprenticeships like that. And then sometimes this great thing ha happens, and you've probably all experienced it somewhere in your life, that almost magical or maybe it's even a spiritual moment when something clicks like you finally learn to balance the bike you suddenly get how to hold the paintbrush you realize that that violin is actually starting to sound like a musical instrument hey last night i dreamed in spanish
You know what I mean. Something happens. Some kind of click takes place. Something is galvanized. That sort of thing often happens with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You get this confirmation from the Holy Spirit. And with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the most important thing of all is this, that it happens within the context of a Spirit-filled community. It's the Spirit who makes all the gifts and empowers all the gifts so that they actually work together for the common good. So the church is this amazing Spirit-empowered community that needs these gifts, but that also is equipped to form these gifts and deploy them for the common good. It's as miraculous as or more miraculous than the miracle of a human body with all the parts of the body working together to keep it alive and making it able to do all of the cool stuff that we can do. So I just want to finish by putting together last week's key verse with this week's key verse. Last week, it was... To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This week, it's earnestly desire the greater gifts. And of course, there's lots of footnotes to that, but those two things belong together because to each is given the manifestation of the common good and eagerly desire the greatest gifts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So would you pray with me? Lord, help us. Lord, empower us. Help us, first of all, to realize that none of these gifts has anything to do with us. You created us in the first place. So if we're anything, that's why. And you're the one who equips people to do what they do in the church. So if we do any good, that's because of you. Well, thank you, Lord, because that liberates us from self-reliance and from the limitations of our own abilities. So hear our prayer, Lord. We're asking that you will give each one of us the discernment to know what our gifts are and to make the best possible use of those gifts to put our own efforts into growing in our knowledge and in our practical ability. And above all, Lord, we pray that you will put us in church communities where these gifts can work together for doing the things that are just so amazing. We serve one another. We do your work in this world. And through these things, we somehow, we don't understand how, we bring glory to you. This is your will for the church. And this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.